The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, our friend, the apple tree, is back here again with us today, and uh, we met this tree last week and the other trees that are here with us in the sanctuary and out in the hallway, and uh, these are little apple trees, as we talked about before, and these trees are still in the plastic pots that they came in when we bought them at the garden center, and I was thinking about it again this week, that a, a tree in a pot, strictly speaking, it is a tree. And uh, I, I said last week that I didn't know what the fancy biological name was, so I went and looked it up this week. And it turns out that an apple tree is called Malus domestica. So Malus domestica is, uh, strictly speaking, a tree. This tree in the pot is, is, uh, is an apple tree. Uh, but whether we use the English name or the Latin name, the truth is as long as this tree stays in this pot, it's a tree in name only. Because, again, a tree in a pot can't do any of the things that we love about trees. It it can't produce fruit. It can't provide shade. It can't grow its its trunk and body thicker and more sturdy so that it lasts over a period of generations. And it can't cast seeds to ensure that this particular tree won't be the last one of its kind. And the reason that a tree in a pot can't do any of these things is because it can't get its roots deep enough into the soil. Have you ever seen one of those trees? Maybe it's an old tree, uh, very big, but something has knocked it over. A severe storm or a a car crashed into it or something knocked it over, and you see the roots have been ripped up out of the soil. And it's the, the root bed on those trees is enormous. It's unbelievable how big those are. And that's what a tree needs if it's going to survive and thrive. It needs the roots to go deeply into the soil. And so I'll say it again, if you leave a tree in a pot, you're missing the point. And let me say this again as well. I think that uh, Artisan Church is a little bit like a tree in a pot. Let me explain a little bit more about what I mean uh, when I say that. I said it last week, and I'll say it again this week. I'll give you a little bit of our history, actually of the history of this building. The people who preceded us in this building, uh, in fact, it was the church that built this building a few decades ago. They were a church in our same denomination. Uh, we're part of the Evangelical Covenant Church, and we're proud to be part of that family of churches. And this congregation that was here before us served and worshipped here in this building for many years. And then a few years ago, they came to the point where they couldn't continue anymore. And so they closed their church. And when that happened... Um, in accordance with New York State law and the charters and all the, all the legal stuff you probably don't care much about, um, the property and the building became uh, the contr- under the control of the denomination. So the Evangelical Covenant Church actually owns this building and the property that it sits on. And since the time that the other church closed, we've been using this place as a base for the ministry that God calls us to do. But it's never been permanent. We've always been renting the space from our denomination. 
And they have told us all along, you know, we'd like to sell the building. And uh, eventually we're going to come to the point where we have to sell it. And the reason they want to sell it is because it's, it's worth a, a good bit of money. And when they sell properties that they come into possession of, our denomination uses them for some amazing ministry projects. Just really wonderful stuff. I won't get to the details today, but we are going to talk about some of that in the fourth week of the series, uh, in the last week of the series. So we've known all along that they want to sell it, and we've asked them to give us some more time, and they say, okay, you can have a little more time, and we want a little bit more time, and they've given it to us, and, and we just haven't been ready until this point. But now, the time has come. Now we have the opportunity to make this situation that we're in, which is, which is uh, not permanent right now, into one that is permanent. We have the opportunity to buy this building to become deeply rooted in this place and to build on our calling here for, for a long time to come. And I really do see that as an opportunity. Now, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, at the, uh, the beginning of the, of the process, when I, first, when I first learned that we would need to purchase this building, I, it made me a little nervous. It wasn't my favorite idea to, to try and go through all the stuff that you need to go through to purchase a building. And I dreaded it for a while, but I, I can honestly say that at this point, I have gotten to the point where I see this as not an obligation or a burden, but as a wonderful, terrific opportunity, something that we should take advantage of, something that's really awesome. The idea that we can be here uh, and permanently rooted in this place for generations to come. And so during this series, we're talking about how and why and what it looks like to be deeply rooted in this place. And I'll say again, this is, it's a little bit of a family business kind of message, kind of a series. And so if it seems like we're not talking about stuff that's uh, normal church stuff, we'll get back to normal, or whatever that looks like for us, um, in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, we are still doing all the things that we do when we come together to worship. And uh, we're singing and praying and looking at scripture and all those things. Um, but because this is such a crucial time in our history, and I really think it is, I really think that this, um, this period of weeks and months is, is going to be the, some of the most important times in our history. Because of that, uh, I'm, I want us to pause for prayer. And I'm going to do this throughout the series before we kind of get into the, the details of what we're looking at each, each week. Uh, I want us to pause for prayer, and I think it's going to this this whole effort is going to require of us a great deal of trust and faith in God. And so, for today's prayer, what I'd like to do is give you a few moments to do silent prayer. And um, as you are pausing in silence, I would like you to focus on the question of trust and faith, and uh, to meditate on the idea of putting your trust in God. So let me give you two or three minutes of silence and um, just take that time to focus on trust.
Amen. Well, some of you know and have heard the story of how Tracy and I, when we first got married, we moved to Las Vegas. And we lived there in Las Vegas, Nevada for a little bit less than two years. And uh, the one thing that I remember the most about Las Vegas is that it was hot. I mean, really hot. In the summers here, it gets warm. In the summers there, it gets hot. And everybody always said to me, oh, well, it's a dry heat, right? You know what else is a dry heat? An oven. It doesn't mean you want to live in there. <laughs> oh, boy, did I hate the heat. And I used to ride my bicycle to work. I worked at the, uh, at the borders. Uh, may it rest in peace. Um, there <laughs> in Las Vegas. And I would ride my bicycle down. I was on the shelving crew. We got there at 6 in the morning. And so I would ride down before the sun came up. And just as I was getting there, I would sometimes be sitting outside waiting for the manager to show up and open the doors. And the sun would come up over the mountains. And I could see the, the gold glinting on the mountains, and, and I'm like, oh, here it comes. I'm comfortable, I'm comfortable, I'm comfortable. The second the sun came up over those mountains, it was too hot. <laughs> oh, man, did I hate it. And the worst thing is, it's Las Vegas. It's a desert. There are no trees. So if you want to find some shade, you just got to get near a building. <laughs> I missed the trees a lot when I was there. Because a tree is the best place to, to find shelter and shade when it's hot. When it gets warm here in Rochester, um, it's maybe too warm. Sometimes you're uncomfortable, especially if you're hiking or running or playing ultimate down at Ellison Park, a lot of things that I like to do. Um, and when it gets hot like that, though, you can usually find a nice big tree with wide spreading branches and you can stand underneath it. Obviously, this one's not big enough yet. You can stand underneath it and a tree is the best. It even sometimes can shelter you from a little bit of rain. Um, I'm told that you shouldn't stand under one during a lightning storm, but uh, if I went too far down that road, the metaphor would fall apart, so we're not going to do that. Um, trees offer the best kind of shade and shelter. And so today's topic is shelter. And what I did in preparation for this message was I, I went into my concordance and I looked up a lot of the places in the Bible that use the word shelter. And I'm going to just shotgun blast you with a, with a few of these right now. They're not on the screen or anything like that. Let me read a few of these verses that have the word shelter in them. I'm going to start with the Old Testament, and then I'll do some New Testament principles as well. Psalm 27, 5. For he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Psalm 61, verse 4. Let me abide in your tent forever. Find refuge under the shelter of your wings. And here's another psalm from Psalm 91. Um, I read this a few weeks ago. It's a very personal psalm in my life. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Jump ahead a little bit to the prophets. Isaiah 25.4, for you have been a refuge to the poor, a refuge to the needy in their distress, a shelter from the rainstorm, and a shade from the heat. That's just what? One, two, three, four verses from the Old Testament. I could have given you dozens. It just is over and over and over again. The principle being that God is a shelter. It is in God's nature to be sheltering. 
part of who God is to offer solace and safety from the storms of life and from enemies and from all the things that, that crash in on us. And that's what these Old Testament passages show us. It's the nature of God to be sheltering. Now, if they show us that the nature of God is to be sheltering, what I think the New Testament does for us is, is gets a little more specific, and it, it tells us how that is worked out and expressed for all time and for all people, that that shelter is offered through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so let me read to you a couple of New Testament verses. Again, not on the screen. Just, just listen to them. We'll start at the, at the end of all things in the book of Revelation. It says, For this reason they are before the throne of God and worship Him day and night within His temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. See, the book of Revelation, by the way, this is a little secret, is not just full of uh, fire and brimstone and monsters and numerology and all that stuff that makes it kind of scary to read. It has all kinds of stuff like this in it, with God wiping away the tears from every eye uh, and with, with the one seated on the throne sheltering those in need. Here's another New Testament passage from uh, the letter to the Romans, Romans 5, 6 through 8. This doesn't use the word shelter, but you will hear the concept. Listen to these words. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 1 uses the, uh, the analogy of adoption, which I think is a beautiful one. There's some friends who've adopted children. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on us. So again, it is in God's nature to be a place of shelter. It's part of who God is. And in Jesus, His Son, that shelter is extended over and offered to all people in all times, to everyone. And here's the point. It will connect it to what we do as, as artists in church. When we as a church position ourselves as a place of shelter, I would suggest to you that what we are doing is reflecting the image of God. In other words, reflecting his nature and his character, which is to be shelter for weary spiritual travelers. You'll hear that phrase again. When we as a church position our, ourselves as a place of shelter, we are reflecting the image of God and we are doing the work of his son, Jesus. Who time and time again, and it, I, mean, I mean, forget for a second. Don't forget. But I mean, just for a second, forget all the theology, all the Christology, all that stuff about grace and, uh, you know, righteousness imputed to us and all that stuff. Just look at what Jesus did in the New Testament with people who were broken and lame and sick and sinful. I mean, really sinful. Not like any of you guys, but like really bad sinners. And, and Jesus offered them and extended them grace. And I, I just see that, that shelter. 
So what is it, I wonder, this is, the, this is the question we have to ask ourselves, what is it that makes Artisan Church uniquely equipped, if you will, to be a place of shelter? In other words, what is so special about this place that we need to fight for it to continue, that we need to make potentially deep personal sacrifices, each one of us, in order to, to purchase the building that we're sitting in, the building that houses this particular community of faith. What's so special about us? Is it um, our, our come-as-you-are casual style? We don't wear the neckties. We have the skinny jeans. <laughs> Is it our cutting-edge music? Our really fancy website? Our profoundly welcoming fair trade coffee selection. Little secret, the decaf is not fair trade. The decaf is Dunkin' Donuts. Um, <clears throat> but the regular coffee is fair trade and organic. <laughs> of course it's none of those things, right? I, I mean, let's be honest. We have all those things. But that's not what makes us uniquely equipped to be a place of spiritual shelter. Um, the truth is, those kind of things are, they're a dime a dozen when it comes to churches. You can go to lots of different churches, even right here in the city of Rochester, you find casual style, you find good music, you find um, coffee, you, you know. It has nothing to do with style, thank God. <laughs> um, because I'm not really confident in anybody's ability to maintain a sense of style for very long. If we were concerned about being uh, stylish and inviting in that way, um, we might as well just plan to close our doors in about 2015 because that's about as long as anybody can stay hip. I mean, it's probably too late for us, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, it's not about the style. Let me, let me read to you one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And this is a little bit longer. If you'd like to follow along in your own Bible, if you brought one, you can. It's from Acts, Acts 15. There's also Bibles under your chairs if you'd like to read along. If you're a visual person like me, you need to see the words. You can follow along on page 899. Um, it's certainly okay to just sit and listen as well. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, one that shows the early church, the early Christians... Um, being a place of shelter, and I mean real spiritual shelter for people who needed it, not just, um, not just something trendy or whatever. This is the kind of shelter that I want Artisan Church to continue to be. <clears throat> you have to realize that the, the culture into which Christianity was born was, um, happened within Judaism. So the early Christians were all Jews. And uh, particularly at that time in history, uh, the, the Jewish people were not, uh, they're not very willing to, to interact with Gentiles because the Old Testament is fairly clear that you're not supposed to do that. Um, you're supposed to be set apart um, and spiritually clean and all that stuff. And so they had a problem here because some Gentiles started to believe in Jesus. And then what do we do? So here's Acts 15. Verse 21 verses. Then certain individuals came down, individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, uh, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, 
you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and all the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. And, and it's so easy for us to say, well, of course, they, we know the end of this story. We know what they're going to decide to do. They're not going to make those people get circumcised and follow 613 Mosaic laws. But you have to understand, this was like saying, we're about to throw out the Bible. We're going to let these Gentiles become Christians, and we're not going to make them follow any of the rules that have defined who we are as God's people for hundreds of years. So it's not a small thing. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. The apostles and the elders met together to discuss this matter, to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. He has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Let me jump ahead to verse 19 where James, who is the leader of the church in Jerusalem, has considered all this argumentation and debate. And he says, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble the, those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city for generations past, Moses has, been, has had those who proclaim him for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. I love verse 19, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God. Another translation says, we should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. And by the way, the, the few restrictions that they did place on these Gentile Christians, they didn't make them follow the entire Mosaic law. The ones that they cared the most about were the ones that had to do with pagan temple worship. In, in the Mediterranean basin. So they, they asked them to stop doing all of these things that were associated with pagan practice. So uh, idols and, and um, meat from animals that had been strangled in blood and, and you know, this, like there were sex cults and things like that. So they asked them to abstain from fornication. So the, the restrictions that they placed on them were actually, they seem a little weird to our ears, but they were actually um, quite sensible and really, really permissive when you consider the entirety of the Mosaic law. We should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God. You see, the early church was a place of safety for religious outsiders. The Jews were the religious insiders. They had it made in the shade. 
if you'll pardon the uh, pun. The Gentiles, not so much. And the early church said that Jesus has extended this grace to us. The grace, by the way, that we all need because we have all messed up this Mosaic law and so did our ancestors and everybody else. So we need it just as bad as they do. Let's all have it made in the shade. (laughs) The early church was a place of shelter and safety for people who were turning to God who had nothing right. They didn't look right. They didn't act right. They didn't believe the right things. All they had right, the one thing that they got right, was that they were trusting in the Lord Jesus. And what I want for Artisan and what I know you want for Artisan is for us to be a place like that early church that says we should not trouble. We should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. Whether they look right or act right or believe the right things just yet, all we can do is is present Jesus to them and call them to trust in him as we do. So for us to be a place of shelter, of shade, if you will, spiritually, has nothing to do with with our style, whatever that might be, however you might define it. Are we contemporary or modern or what? Who cares? I mean, honestly. Being a place of shelter is about the fact that we have created a culture of spiritual safety here. And if you are, if you are seeking God and you come to this place, it's okay if you have problems. It's okay if you have issues. You can be in personal crisis. You can be in spiritual crisis. You can be fighting addiction. You can be angry at God. You can be doubting God. You can have big questions. You can be wallowing in your own sin and a complete mess. And welcome to the club. And what you will receive here, if you and I have anything to say about it, is not judgment. but an extension of God's grace as it's expressed by Jesus time and time again in his earthly ministry and in the New Testament theology and all of that. And a setting where the Holy Spirit can speak to you and can comfort you and, yes, can convict you and guide you and heal you and bring you to to and toward a changed life. So don't hear me saying that just, you know, come as you are and stay as you are. You know, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. But when people walk into this building and they have none of it figured out, we want to offer them shade because when you are spiritually confused and seeking, when you are hurting because of a personal crisis or a spiritual crisis, when you are wallowing in your own sin, as I said a minute ago, outside the shelter of a, of, of a community of faith like this, it's like that Las Vegas sun just cooking you. And all you can think about is getting cooled off, and getting a cup of water, getting something, some, some shade somewhere. An artisan needs to be a place where that is possible for people.
where we say along with the apostles of the other church, let's not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. That's the kind of shelter we want to be. And it's not just because it's a nice idea, right? Somebody, one of us decided a long time ago to start a church where it would be nice to, you know, be, to be chill with people or whatever. I think that's actually part of our calling. It is who God has called Artisan Church to be. And that's what makes us, to the extent that we are special, that's what makes us special. I love when people tell me, I mentioned this last week, it's one of my favorite things to hear when people say, I was seeking God and I tried to go to church and I, I couldn't fit in at church and I went to a different church and I couldn't fit in there and I went to a different church and it just, ah, and I went to a different church and I tried and tried and tried. I could not go to church until I found Artisan Church. And when I found Artisan, suddenly it clicked. Suddenly I felt safe. Suddenly I felt like I could actually express my doubt or for the first time I found a place where I could be with my family and, and it wasn't weird or painful. That's my favorite thing to hear somebody say about Artisan. And listen, I know that we're not the only church in town that people say that about, right? Like, that's why I say to the extent that we are special. <laughs> different people require different kinds of things, but I think we are uniquely equipped to reach people who I describe as weary spiritual travelers, people who have gone from place to place and never found a place where they can really sit in the, in the shade of God's grace long enough for their souls to stop overheating, long enough for them to have an experience with the risen Christ. It is our great joy at Artisan Church to be a place of spiritual shelter. And I want that to be true of our church for a long, long time. Don't you want that too? Don't you want that to be how people describe Artisan tomorrow and next year? And don't you want your kids' friends, when they're big enough to, to be pondering these things, to find Artisan to be a place like that? I know that you do. Um, and the fact of the matter is that, that we won't be that place unless our roots go deeper, unless we get out of our pot, unless we become permanently positioned and rooted for the long haul in this place. And the only way that that happens is to purchase this building, which is as I mentioned last week, is going to be sold whether we buy it or somebody else buys it. <laughs> I want it to be us because I think this, is, this building is a wonderful tool for the ministry that God's called us to do. And the truth is that the only way that that's going to happen is if you and I make it happen. It's not going to be an easy thing to do. It is going to require a lot of generosity and sacrifice um, on a personal level, from a number of different people. And so what I'd like to ask you to do this week, um, last week I asked you to do a couple things. I'm going to ask you to do a couple things again this week. And while I'm talking about them, could I have uh, a few volunteers who would come forward and pass these booklets out again, please? And I'd like, once again, for everybody to take one of these. We have a lot of them. 
We have plenty. Uh, Last week, I asked you to do a fast on Thursday, to fast and pray on Thursday. Um, I know a number of you remembered to do that better than I did. (laughs) I I I had a piece of pizza in my mouth. I went, oh, no. (laughs) Fortunately, it was nine in the morning. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so I could adapt. I'd like you to do this again this week and throughout the campaign to do a Thursday fast. And I, I wasn't really fair of me last week to ask you to do that and then not explain what, what that means. Um, we don't have time to talk about all the things that go into fasting, what it is, why we do it, what, you know, the history of it in the Bible and the history of it throughout the practice of Christianity. Uh, suffice it to say this for now, that God's people have been called to fasting and prayer at crucial moments in their history together since, you know, since before the time of Christ, going all the way back into the deep roots of Judaism. Um, And so, to be perfectly frank, you don't have to quite understand why you're doing it for it to be beneficial to you uh, and to our community. You could think of it one way as sort of a show of solidarity and togetherness. Um, It's also, and this is the last thing I'll say about it for today, your, your, your hungry belly sharpens your attention to God. And so you don't have to fast all day. You don't have to fast from water. You could do a meal fast. You could fast from snacks or coffee or cigarettes or beer or or whatever it is. Whatever would be a a reasonably sized sacrifice for you. Make that your fast this week on Thursday. And I will remember it better. I'm going to make my phone remind me (laughs) this week. And I'll put it on our Artisan Facebook and Twitter accounts. So you want to get in touch with those, you can. I'll also probably put it in the email newsletter that goes out. So fast and pray on Thursday. And what I'd like you to do, I know that some of you now have more than one copy of this booklet, and that's okay. Because if, so if you haven't read the booklet yet, read through it when you get home. Now, don't read it now, kids. Uh, <laughs> read through it when you get home. And the other thing I'd like to ask you to do is put it somewhere where you'll see it every day. Um, your bathroom mirror, your uh, car dashboard. Um, what are some other good places? Help me out here, like refrigerator, if you do that every day, you're, you're where you hang your keys, whatever it would be. Put it somewhere where you'll see it every day, and then when you see it, every time you see it, I want you to pray a very simple prayer. I just want you to ask God, how can I help? Or maybe a, a better way to say it would be to say, what can I do? Once again, prayer does not have to be like this long soliloquy where we present our requests to God in the floweriest language we can think of. Prayer can be silence. Prayer can be a simple question. And so hang this thing on your bathroom mirror or um, wherever, wherever it would be seen, wherever you'd see it, and uh, ask God when you see it, what can I do? How can I help? And I don't know what the answer is going to be for you, but I would like you to ask the question. Um, because, again, I will say it. Artisan is like a tree in a pot, and if we're going to plant this tree, if we're going to be here for a long time to come, it's going to require all of us to do something. And so begin to open your hearts to what God might be calling you to do, might be asking of you this week. We'll talk some more about it as it gets closer, Um, but for now, just ask that question as you pray.
and are reminded, what can I do? Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks for your nature, which is to be a shelter to us, a place of spiritual shade on our journeys through this, what sometimes seems like a, a spiritual desert. And we thank you for how that's expressed in the sacrifice, the life and death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And it is our sincere prayer, Lord, that we would reflect your image, we would reflect your nature, that we would do the work of your son, Jesus, that we at Artisan Church would be a place of shelter for the weary spiritual travelers who come our way. And we pray this week as we are fasting and praying and considering what we can do, asking how we can help, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, Lord, would call us to something big, to be part of something amazing. And that we'd have the courage and the trust required to respond to that call so that artisan can become deeply rooted can build on the calling you've given us to be a place of spiritual shelter now and next year and for years and even generations to come. We pray all these things in your name, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.